Good evening. So good to see you this evening. You know, you've probably heard the phrase, having your cake and eating it too. Usually we apply that phrase to someone who is trying to have something good and something not so good at the same time. Typically when we talk about someone having their cake and eating it too, we're talking about someone who's trying to have something righteous and something unrighteous. At least a lot of the time that's what we mean. But you know, the truth of the matter is, there's many of us who try to have our cake and eat it too, and not so overtly bad versus good, things of that nature. It's kind of like the, the person who's running on a treadmill while eating an ice cream cone, right? They want to be fit, but they want the junk food as well. By the way, I was at the gym not long ago, and somebody was running on the treadmill, and in the Pringles container holder there, they had a water bottle. Isn't that silly? You know, but anyway, <laughs> the person who wants to be fit but wants to eat junk food or the person who maybe wants to you know, live a faithful life to their wife or their spouse and yet still have a mistress. I mean, you know, there are people who want to, you know, they want to have their cake and eat it too. But there are also folks in the church who really struggle with having one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And I know you know this, but the Bible makes it very clear, Jesus makes it very clear, that you can't serve two masters, that either you're for me or against me. There is no such thing as partial allegiance. There's no such thing as semi-devotion. You're either all in or you're not. And we talked about that over and over again. Tonight I want to look at, from the standpoint of leadership, the failings of Aaron in one episode that is found in Exodus chapter 32. You know, there was a day that Moses broke all ten commandments. You know that? Look here in Exodus chapter 32, verse 19. It came about, as soon as Moses came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands, and he shattered them at the foot of the mountain. This was a day that Moses broke all ten commandments because he was frustrated, because he was angry. He had been up talking with God. God tells him, you need to go back down because something's going on. And he comes down the mountain and he sees the people worshiping, dancing around this golden calf. And in the middle of all of it is the trusted Aaron. How could Aaron let this happen? How could Aaron be involved in such stuff like this? Look at verse 1 and following. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are on your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. First of all, why a calf? What do you think that is? Why a golden calf? Of all the different animals, of all the different figures, why make a golden calf? 
Well, you got to remember that the people had just come from Egypt, which was a land of many gods. And some people think a golden calf because it represents the god Apis, who was worshipped in the form of an ox. Then you also had this cow-figured head of a a god by the name of Hathor, actually a goddess, who was the goddess of the desert and also was symbolic of the mother of Pharaoh. So we don't really know exactly, but maybe that's the answer. But the next question is, why did Aaron do it? And I think that answer is simple. He caved to the pressure, right? He gave in to the people around him who were pressuring him to give them a god that was tangible. Moses was away. They wanted a more tangible God, and so Aaron follows. He caters to the whims of the people. And, you know, Aaron is no different than a lot of people who have been placed in a leadership position. If you've ever been a leader, try making everyone happy. See how that works out. doesn't go very well for you. But Aaron catered to the whims of the people. He gave them what they had asked for, and obviously it didn't turn out too well. I believe, and you can disagree with me if you want, that's okay, but I believe that there are two main areas, this is the part you can't disagree with, there are two main areas in which we have to have good leadership, that's in the home and in the church. Here's the part you can disagree with me on. I believe that a lot of our ills in our society can be attributed to a lack of leadership. And I believe that the dismantling of the family structure has a lot of contribution to the ills of our society. I believe that if we can restore the family unit, then, you know, we correct a lot of our societal ills. Um, When it comes to leadership in the home, you know, God has ordained leadership within the church and within the home uh, to males. That doesn't mean that the females have no responsibility whatsoever or that they can't help out in the leadership responsibility, but the onus rests on the man, right? And I don't want to bash fathers. I think we do too much of that from the pulpit, but you don't have to look too far across the landscape of our country to see that in many places there is a failing of male leadership. You know, when you look at the church, why do we have so many of the uh, ills in society creeping into the church and not not being handled appropriately? Why are there so many things that are uh, uh, plaguing the church and they're not being handled effectively? A lack of leadership, right? You know, yes, there may be contributions from others, the staff, the preacher, whatever, but, you know, it really rests on the elders, the shepherds of the congregation, to see to it that the congregation is protected and and, and fed and sustained and all those things. When that doesn't happen, then you have a dismantling of the church, just like you have a dismantling of the home. And what you see, many cases, what you see is a riding of the fence, straddling the fence, trying to keep everyone happy, trying to have, you know, you know, your cake and eat it too. It doesn't work, but yet so many people try to make it work. You know why we didn't set up a committee when we expanded the auditorium in here? You know why we didn't set up a committee to determine what color carpet we would get? You could probably guess, right? (laughs) It's an effort in futility, right? I mean, you know, at some point you just got to make some decisions, right? At some point you can't please everybody and you just recognize that. And as leaders, it's not your job to please everybody. It's your job to do what's best. And and as, as far as I'm concerned, it's your responsibility to make sure that you're doing what's best in the sight of God. That you're fighting the battle on your knees, that you're praying to Him, that you're seeking His godly wisdom so that you make the best decision. 
My first couple of years of coaching, I learned really quick that I can't make everyone happy. I was 24 years old. I was six years older than the seniors. And, you know, at that time in Arkansas, the coach had to wear a uniform for baseball just like the kids. My assistant coach was 50-something years old, and every game the umpire would come up to him and he'd say, no, no, it's not me, it's that guy. And he goes, oh, I thought he was one of the players. Looked just like one of the kids. I learned real quick, you better get your bluff in early. And so I came in there, and I, I came in guns a-blazing. I tried to be the meanest, roughest guy you ever, you ever met. And then I always could back off later. But one of the things is I tried to be very diplomatic, and I tried to keep public relations, which I think is a good thing by and large. But when a parent would come to me and say, you know, do you think my kid's going to ever get to play? And if he doesn't get to play, then I'm going to do this, this, or this. And I'd always, you know, at least at the beginning, say, you know, just hang in there. You know, if he'll keep working and all that. By year four or five, hey, do you think my kid's going to get to play? No, no, probably not. You know, you rip it off like a Band-Aid. You just deal with it early. Be honest early. Be loving and honest early on, and then you don't have all those problems that creep up later. But when it comes to leadership, try pleasing everybody. Try straddling the fence and see what that gets you. Bill Belichick, love him or hate him, the head coach of the New England Patriots, has a saying for all of his players. He tells them, just do your job. Just do your job. I think that's good advice for us. You know, as Christians, whether it's within the church, you know, when we gather together or when we scatter in the world, do your job. Keep your head down. Stay in your lane. Do your job, right? I think that's good advice. In the absence of their leader, Aaron failed to do his job. In the absence of Moses, Aaron caved to the pressure of the people, and he catered to their desire to have a tangible God, one that they could hold and one that they could feel and one that they could touch Maybe, maybe it was a mob mentality. I don't know. The, the scripture says that the people assembled about Aaron. Maybe they crowded around him demanding that he do something or else they were going to tear him limb from limb. I don't know. Maybe they gathered around him to beg and plead with him and maybe to encourage him and to make him feel special. And Aaron thought, well, these people want me to do something for them. Okay, I'll do it. I'm not sure what happened there and all the inner workings of it, but it makes you wonder. With Moses out of the picture, were the people just waiting for an opportunity to go crazy? If so, Aaron obliged, right? I wonder if they thought, now here's our chance. And like that, like that substitute teacher we all had that was a pushover and easy to convince of anything, Aaron was the substitute teacher, and they convinced him to do for them what they wanted. He caved to their pressure. Maybe the people thought that Moses wasn't coming back. I mean, Scripture does say that he was delayed in his coming down from the mountain. Perhaps they thought that idol worship was the way to go because Moses wasn't coming back. I can tell you this, that their experience is one that we see all too often in the culture around us. Whatever the reasoning was, whatever scenario you want to pick out of that, we see it all too often. In the absence of good leadership, the crowd takes over. And the result's usually not good. Whatever the reason, what we do know is that the people had been taken out of Egypt. The people had been taken out of Egypt, but Egypt wasn't completely taken out of them. Idolatry is sin. We talked about that this morning. And it leads to further sin. Without the one true God in charge, at least people thinking that he wasn't in charge, 
With that Moses out of the way, the people became determiners of right and wrong, and selfishness prevailed, lusts were satisfied, immorality increased, and that's a recipe for disaster. I want you to look at the death sentence, verse 6 of Exodus chapter 32. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. The people drank in excess. Not only that, they rose up to play. The Hebrew word here for play is not referring to playing Monopoly or cards. The actual reference here is to fornication, to orgies, to satisfying every sexual desire. And God tells Moses that you need to go down off the mountain and check on the people. And when he comes down, he finds them engaged in all these things. He sees Aaron in the middle of it. And I think of Moses and his reaction, of course, he breaks the Ten Commandments, the tablets anyway. And then he, I, I can picture him looking at Aaron and going, what in the world has happened? What are you doing? I left you in charge. What, what is going on? How have you let it come to this? The people had persuaded Aaron to fashion them an idol. Look at verses 5 and 6 again. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now wait a minute. Does that strike you as odd, those couple of verses? I mean, you consider what's going on here. Aaron fashions a golden calf for the people, and then he does what? He constructs an altar. He constructs an altar before it, and he then makes a proclamation that tomorrow shall be a feast day for the Lord, capital L. Could it be that Aaron fashioned the golden calf for the people, but didn't ever intend for it to be a replacement for God? Could it be that Aaron's trying to keep one foot over here and one foot over here. He's trying to please the people, but also trying to, to please God. It sure seems that way, doesn't it? That Aaron fashions this golden calf for them. These people had worshipped so many gods in Egypt, these people that haven't had Egypt completely taken out of them. And Aaron fashions a golden calf for them so they could have something tangible to worship, and yet Maybe he's going to smooth it over with God by saying, I'm going to make an altar and we're going to have a feast day for the Lord. Of course, it didn't take because they rose up to drink and to play and all those things we just talked about. Remember Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 and 6? It says, you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who who love me and keep my commandments. We talked about verse 4 this morning. This is in relationship to idols and God warning about the worship of idols. Aaron had violated the second commandment. People in our culture do it all the time. We talked about that this, this morning. It's so, it's so easy to fall into the trap of idolatry and to, and to allow other things to take the place of God in our life. As I said this morning, idolatry in essence, is substituting the substance for God. You know, it's putting anything ahead of God. It's allowing your heart to beat for things primarily other than beating primarily for God. And so the Israelites, in constructing this golden calf, they disobeyed the second commandment. They were constructing a God of manageable proportions, and Aaron was giving the people what they wanted. They, people don't necessarily want God. They, they wanted a God. And Aaron obliged. 
He obliged their selfish wants and desires. He may intended to just give them a visual representation of God, or perhaps he wanted to straddle the fence by meeting their needs, but also building an altar and bringing offerings. But either way, he made a grave mistake. Because after the burnt offerings are consumed, when the blood had been poured from the peace offerings, when the priests had partaken, when the religious part of the ceremony was finished, the people sat down to fill their bellies as idolaters. And it says they drank in excess, then they played. Needless to say, God was not impressed with the people nor with Aaron. And Aaron should have surely known better. He surely should have known that this was not a good idea, that it wasn't in keeping with God's will, that they were certainly disobeying the second commandment. So Moses comes on the scene. He confronts Aaron. Of course, I think, as I said, Aaron probably knew. But it's why God told Moses to come down off the mountain. Aaron should have immediately admitted wrong. He should have immediately come clean. But what does he do? He tries to shun responsibility, doesn't he? We've talked about it before. All I did was take their gold earrings and threw them in the fire, and out comes this golden calf. You know, I hate when that happens. I don't don't know what to tell you. I, I didn't do anything wrong. Moses showed the boldness and the intestinal fortitude that Aaron should have showed in confronting this situation. Notice this, verse 25 and following. Now, when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. He said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother and every man his friend and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, dedicate yourselves today to the Lord for every man has been against his son and against his brother in order that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. On the next day, Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin and now I'm going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has committed a great sin and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you will, forgive their sin. And if not... Please blot me out from your book, which you have written. The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. In other words, that last part that's pretty telling, Aaron did this. The people did it, but Aaron's responsible just as much because he was supposed to be the leader in all of this. Moses shows great boldness, great fortitude in this moment. Remember the Moses of Exodus 3? He seems to be long gone in this moment. He confronts the situation. He gives an order that some 3,000 be be struck down. Then he goes to God and in all boldness and confidence pleads to God My people have sinned. We can't get past that. I can't deny that. They've sinned. But here's the deal. And he lays it out. 
Isn't it interesting that in the beginning, Aaron was sent with Moses? Because apparently, at least it seems, that Aaron may have been the stronger of the two, at least when it comes to speaking. And yet here, Moses takes on the role of, of leader because Aaron had failed. Anytime there's a failure in leadership, somebody's got to step up. Somebody's got to step up. You know, folks, what we see in our culture all too often today is people fashioning a God of manageable proportions. I know you have friends and acquaintances that do the same thing, unknowingly, obviously. You know, many of our, our folks that, uh, that we know and that we care about are not doing it purposely. But it's, it's such a temptation to create a God of manageable proportions. So many times we start with man and we reason upward. And that's how we get our concept of God. Many times we even bring God down to our level and we just say, God is like me. But he's not. Royce is a great guy. He's not worthy to be worshipped. Sorry, Royce. There's a lot of great people in this room. Not one of you is worthy to be worshipped. God is so far above us, it's not even funny. So it's not about starting with man and reasoning upward. It's not about making a God or fashioning a God of manageable proportions. It's about going to Scripture and seeing that God, worshiping that God, striving to follow what He would have us to follow. It's not about trying to make God in our own image. It's about striving to be the image of what God has created us to be. When I lived in Cassville, Missouri, you might find this interesting. I played a lot of golf. Um, got pretty good at it for a while. I hate the game now, but at the time, I kind of liked it. One of my favorite pastimes was me and my buddy would go out there right before dark when everybody had stopped playing, and we would walk, walk the fence lines that went around the perimeter of the golf course. Pretty, pretty large perimeter. But it was a barbed wire fence that went all the way around the course. And the reason we walked that fence line is you could find a lot of golf balls, a bunch of golf balls. I never bought golf balls the whole time I lived in Missouri. Apparently, there are a lot of bad golfers and a lot of golfers that shank shots out into the woods. And so we'd walk across that fence line and you would find hundreds. And so when you find one, a lot of times what you'd have to do is you'd have to cross that barbed wire fence. How do you cross a barbed wire fence? Anybody know? Very carefully, yeah. But somebody holds, either you or somebody, holds one strand down and pulls the other strand up and you, you carefully go under it, right? Now, sometimes it was low enough that you could push it down and just step over it. Every now and then, there was only a couple of them, they made those steps. You've seen those that you, you put over the fence so you can step over and get to the other side. That was nice, but most of the time, you were having to push down and pull up in order to slide through. And inevitably, what was going to happen eventually was you're going to get your shirt caught on a barb or unfortunately, maybe even your pant leg. And what do you do then? You very carefully have your partner either remove your shirt or unhitch your pant leg so that you don't cause a rip or a tear, right? I think that's an apt description about how so often we want to live. We want to have one side, one leg over here, and we want to have one leg over here, and we're straddling a barbed wire fence all the time. And if you straddle a barbed wire fence long enough, you're going to get the barb, aren't you? 
It's just going to happen. And let me tell you something, folks. The devil owns the fence anyway. You don't want to be straddling it. Here's something I want to do starting tonight, and I want to continue this indefinitely. I want to leave us every Sunday. Just We'll do it every Sunday night. I want to leave us with a daily dare, okay? So I want us to take what we have done on Sunday and apply it to our lives during the week. And so I'm going to give you something every week, a final charge, a final challenge to go out and to live what we have talked about. And, and we call it a daily dare because I want to dare you daily to live this way. And you can probably guess what it is for this week. Be a Moses. I'm not saying don't ever be an Aaron because Aaron had some good qualities. Be a Moses. In this situation especially, be a Moses. Have that boldness. Be a leader. Don't cave to the pressure around you. The world around you is always going to try to convince you to worship something other than God. And again, not always overtly. Just your schedule and, and your kids' activities. Everything around us begs your attention. And it's easy to get so caught up in it that you give it your time and attention and you put God on the back burner. Don't do that. Don't give in to the pressure. Be bold. Be a Moses. And make certain daily you're waking up with the intent and the focus to keep God on the throne of your heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we get to be here. That you established the church that we get to be the church. Thank you that we have each other to rely on and, and thank you so much that we have you to look to. Help us to be leaders and followers. Leaders in our families, leaders here, leaders in the world around us, but always followers of you first. May we be all in, completely invested not part-time, not semi, but completely and totally surrendered to you and your will. May we always seek to glorify you in everything that we do. Help us to be bold for you this week. We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here today. I hope you feel like it's been worth your while, but ultimately, I hope and pray that your reason for being here is to worship our holy God to be edified and encouraged so that you're ready to live out God's call in the week. It's really what it's about. There's a time to gather and a time to scatter. And so, if you're here tonight and you need to get back on track, maybe you're here tonight and, and you're ready to study the Bible with someone, you want to learn more about discipleship, maybe you're here tonight and you need prayer to get your week started. I hope you feel like it's been to your benefit to be here. Let us help you. Whatever your need is, Wade's going to lead a song. If you need to answer the invitation, come while we stand and sing.